The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands, ask him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal. All those having business with this general court-martial, stand forward and you shall be heard. The facts of the case are these. On midnight of September 6, the accused entered the barracks room of their platoon mate. They woke him up, tied his arms and legs with tape, forced a rag into his throat. A few minutes later, a chemical reaction caused his lungs to begin bleeding. He drowned in his own blood and was pronounced dead at 37 minutes past midnight. Do you think Santiago was murdered? Private Santiago is dead, and that is a tragedy. But he is dead because he had no code. He is dead because he had no honor. And God was watching. How do you feel about that theory? Sounds good to me. I'll knock it all down to involuntary manslaughter. No deal, we're going to court. No, you're not. Why not? Because you'll lose. You want to investigate me? Roll the dice and take your chances. I eat breakfast 300 yards from 4,000 Cubans who were trained to kill me. So don't think for one second you can come down here, flash a badge, and make me nervous. Your men follow orders or people die. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You! But if this case is handled in the same fast food, slick-ass, Persian bizarre manner with which you seem to handle everything else, then something's gonna get missed. In the heart of the nation's capital, in a courthouse of the United States government, one man will stop at nothing to keep his honor, and one will stop at nothing to find the truth. Hi guys, welcome back to the Tragedy Cinema Podcast. I'm your host Jimbo. Today joined once again by <gasps> You can't handle the truth. I'm gonna say that line before. Kyle Zander's in the house. <laughs> Kyle's attorney at law. Yeah, um, in case you can't um, tell, we will be talking about uh, episode one twenty three, a few good men. That's right. So Kyle, question of the episode. Ooh, I'm excited this Jimbo. What three courtroom dramas would you consider 
as the best of all time. Oh, courtroom dramas that I would say are the best of all time. Oh boy. Jeez. Uh, oh, so the first one is just the, I'm just going to shoot it because it's my favorite one. It's just My Cousin Vinny. That's just a great movie. I love the depth. It's a great courtroom drama, but it's not a drama. It's a comedy. It's not a drama. So I feel. Oh, if you want to go ahead and throw in a. Polly Shore's, uh, what was that? Jury one? Duty. Jury I, think, duty. <laughs> I think it was Jury Duty. I've never actually seen it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think you're missing the obviously the 12 Angry Men. Is that courtroom drama though? Because it's deliberation uh, drama. Well. <laughs> you're right though. You're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> I think the actual answer is I haven't watched many courtroom What's drama films. Liar, liar. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. Honestly. <laughs> I don't watch hardcore courtroom dramas because it's usually miserable. Um, uh, when I think of, of uh, you know, courtroom dramas, I think more of the TV uh, episodes. Of Procedural like, TV yeah. shows like, like oh gosh, what was Like that? Jag or uh, yeah. Night Court. <laughs> Would Jag have happened if not for the show? I don't even know if, like, well, I don't even know the timeline of that. If Jag came before him, a few good men. Yeah, I I'm surprised look. you even know what Jag is there, Kyle. I, I never watched an episode of Jag. I, I just remember an episode of uh, King of the Hill. Um, of course she did. Where uh, Hank is implying he wants to have intimate relations with his wife, and he says, you know, Peggy, Jag's a rerun tonight. And he just leaves the room. Really? <laughs> Which I think is one of the funniest jokes ever. <laughs> Like, that's their romantic night. Well, oh. now that you've totally derailed this. Oh, wait, no, wait, I look it up. Jag came out in 1996 and 2004. So, so after this. After this. I wonder if like Jag just would have never happened without, without this film coming out in the first place. Someone would prove it. Like, so now that we're off to a stellar start, Kyle, why don't you go ahead and start the episode? Oh, sure, 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 Jim. I'll get right into it. After these messages. No, okay. <laughs> okay, A Few Good Men, released in 1992, directed by the legendary director Rob Reiner, written by Aaron Sorgan, composed by Mark Shaman, and cinematographer was Robert Richardson. Casting directors were Jeanette Hedgenson and Jane Jenkins. Budget of this film was eighty-seven. Oh, no, sorry. Budget of this film was forty-one million dollars flat. Adjusting for inflation today, that'd be equivalent to about eighty-seven point one million dollars. And I did find the uh, Ooh. the salaries for the, the actors. actors. Go ahead. So Tom back. Cruise got twelve million. Uh, Jack Nicholson got a whopping five million for only seven scenes of work, and Demi Moore came in with two million dollars. I think wow. So like uh, for Jack Nicholson, that's like like I remember it was like it was like Spider Man uh, wasn't No Way Home. It was uh, Spider Man Homecoming. Jack, um, uh, the Iron Man actor, <laughs> what's his name? Rob Robert Downey Jr. had like and he was getting paid like a million dollars per minute. He was on scene. He only had like twelve minutes in the whole movie, and he got paid like fifteen million dollars. <laughs> so he was getting paid like one point two million per minute. Uh, I wonder. I wonder who was actually the actor who has the most money per minute of footage he was on screen. <laughs> That'd be an interesting um, thing. That's someone surely is in that number somewhere. I'll see if I can find it later in the podcast. Um, anyways, budget of the film, yeah, yeah just for inflation is eighty-seven point one billion dollars. Opening weekend, um, a little bit lower than probably they wanted initially, but um, opening weekend was fifteen point five million dollars, and just for inflation would be about thirty-three million dollars. But they made their money well in the back end with $141.3 million just in the U.S. and Canada. Just in for inflation, that'd be about $300.2 million. And then gross worldwide, they made $243.2 million. And gross for inflation, that'd be about $516 million today. Yeah, so good money on that. 
Um, quick little plot summary of the movie here. In this dramatic courtroom thriller, Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, a Navy lawyer who has never seen the inside of a courtroom, defends two stubborn Marines who have been accused of murdering a colleague. Coffee is known for being lazy and had arranged for a plea bargain. Downey's, uh, Downey's out on Ginny appoints uh, Commander Galloway to represent him. Also on the legal staff is Lieutenant Jag Sam Weinberg. The team rounds up many facts, and Caffey is discovering that he really is cut out for trial work. The defense is originally based on the fact that PFC Santiago, the victim, was given a code red. Santiago was basically a screw-up at Gitmo. Screw-ups aren't tolerated, especially by Colonel Nathan Jessup in Cuba. Um, Jessup and the two senior officers try to give all the help they can, but Caffey knows something's fishy. In the collusion of the film, the fireworks are set off by a confrontation between Jessup and Caffey. It's a little summary of the film right there. Um, let's here. I have to go find my technical details real quick. Shuffling paper noises. Good for the sound mix. It's an ASMR, it's an ASMR noise for sure. Still be good. Someone loves it. Someone loves it. Yeah. Technical details here. We have a runtime of approximately 138 minutes. This movie's a bit on the longer side, but not overwhelming. Sound mix, Dolby Stereo and Dolby Outmost, so it sounds excellent if you got that surround sound setup for you going on. Color info, this is a color film, of course, released in 1992. I would expect as much. Aspect ratio, this is 2.35 by 1, so relatively wider aspect, wider aspect ratio than most other films. Camera used was the Panavision Panaflex Platinum using the Panavision E-Series lenses. Moving on here, we're going to go to the awards. And oh boy, oh boy, we had a whole lot of award nominations, but not as many wins as you might think. Um, moving on, we just have the Academy Awards USA of 1993. We have the nominations for um, Oscar nominations for Best Picture, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound, and Best Actor in Supporting Role. Um, four, nom- uh, four nominations there. Unfortunately, no wins for A Few Good Men's, but the films that, won- that came out that year were pretty great, so I understand why. Um, I'm just going to use those for the nominations. The rest I'm going to use the wins here. And so here in 1994, we have the... Um, ASCAP Film and Television Music Awards where it won the um, the ASCAP Award for Top Box Office Films Award to Mark Shaman. Also in 1993 the Chicago Film Critics Association Awards um, awarded the Best Supporting Actor to Jack Nicholson for what, seven scenes you said it worked? <laughs> Best Supporting Actor, seven scenes. In the 1993 MTV Movie and TV Awards, it won the award for Best Movie. The People's Choice Awards in the USA in 1993, it won the People's Choice Awards for Favorite Motion Picture and Favorite Dramatic Motion Picture. 1993, for the Southeastern Film Critics Association Awards, it won the Best Supporting Actor Award for Jack Nicholson's performance. And 92, for the Award Circuit Community Awards, it won the Best Adapted Screenplay um, um, awarded to Aaron Sorkin, the writer. So I guess the um, oh, uh, best adapted screenplay award. So it's a, it was originally a play, actually, not like not like a book or something like that. Just originally a on on stage play. It better be great to watch. Yeah. Um, next up, we have the Heartland um, Film Awards in 1992, where it won the Truly Moving Motion Picture Award, awarded to Rob Reiner, the original director. Next up, we have the National Board of Review in the USA, where it won the MBR Award for Top Ten Films in 1992, and Best Supporting Actor awarded to Best uh, Best awarded to Jack Nicholson for Best Supporting Actor there. Ooh, a little tongue tied today, Jimbo. I think that's every episode, Cal. I'll never I'll never admit to it. <laughs> 
Now, moving on here, we have the cast for A Few Good Men here. Um, we have, of course, the legend... Well, if I say the legendary for one actor, I had to say for all the actors, because this movie has a stacked <laughs> cast. Um, but we have Tom Cruise of Top Gun 1986 fame and Mission Impossible and a ton. Uh, Days of Thunder, Days Top of Gun, Gun, Top Gun Mavericks, Minority Report, yeah. Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. An actor's actor, if there was any. Oblivion and the War of the Worlds. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of movies, and that applies to many of the actors here. Um, anyways, uh, Top Gun, 1986. Mission Impossible, 1996. And continuing today, I think he's still like two more movies he's going to make, and then I think he'll finally call it in. <laughs> Maybe. Next up, we have Jack Nicholson playing Colonel Nate. Oh, I didn't say uh, Tom Cruise's name's character. Tom Cruise's character is Lieutenant Daniel Caffey. Okay, next up, we have Jack Nicholson playing Colonel Nathan R. Jessup. Jack Nicholson, of course, best known for such roles as the sh- um, uh, Jack in The Shining in 1980 and uh, Chinatown in 1974. Then you have other films like As Good As It Gets. Uh, the, the Joker and Joker. Batman. Yeah, the, yes, yes. One, one of the most definitive Jokers of the time. He, he played the... I think he, got, he, he is like on the spectrum of like how Joker is depicted. He has like the criminal spectrum down. As, like, that's when you look at for his character. Um, you know, other characters have, like, the psychopath or the madman or something like that. But, like, he had, like, the criminal Joker really nailed down pat. Next up uh, here we have Demi Moore playing Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway. Um, Demi Moore is also recognized in such roles as G.I. Jane in 1997 and a Ghost in 1990. Ooh, traffic going on. Next up we have Kevin Bacon playing Captain Jack Ross. Kevin Bacon, of course, is most easily most recognizable from the films uh, The Footloose in 1984 and Tremors in 1990. Tremors was a great movie. What do you think is better, Jimbo, Footloose or Tremors? Tremors. Tremors, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Tremors, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Of course, maybe we're not the target audience for Footloose, <laughs> for being fair. <laughs> Next up, we have Kiefer Sutherland playing Second Lieutenant um, Jonathan Kendrick. Kiefer Sutherland, of course, most easily recognizable for the film, uh, the series and uh, eventual film, um, 24, um, um, running from 2001 to 2014. Imagine playing an action show for 13 years. Sanity. It's got to do, it's got to be hell on the body. <laughs> it's like he probably eats like a rabbit for like, t- the, you know, eats like a rabbit for 15 years to do that. A lot of 24. Um, also, of course, uh, he's in the film Stand By Me in 1986. I think it was one of his first film roles, actually, when he played a young child. Stand By Me. Or not a young child, a young adult. You better throw in The Lost Boys. No, the Lost Boys as well. The, the year after, 1987. Yeah. So, yeah, he wouldn't be that young then. But still, young enough. Next up, we have Kevin Pollock playing Lieutenant Sam Weinberg. Kevin Pollock was also in the film's Grumpy Old Men, which we covered just last month. Um, excellent film, and uh, I believe that was 1993, I believe. Next up, we have The Usual Suspects in 1995 that Kevin Pollock appeared in. So that's for his roles right there. He also appeared in a few other cool movies, too. Kevin Pollock's a good actor. I like him a lot. Next up, we have James Marshall playing... Um, oh, I think it's Private First Class as PFC. Private First Class, London Downey. Um, James Marshall was also in the movie um, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. And Gladiator in 1992. That's not the uh, not the Russell Crowe. That's the Cuban Gooding Cuba Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, Gladiator movie. Never saw it. You never saw it either. Okay, I haven't seen it. Either. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt need to clarify. I was like, I'm saying Gladiator, but not that Gladiator. <laughs> you know, not the current actor who plays Zeus, <laughs> the guy that was in Pearl Harbor. We'll get to him later. <laughs> 
Next up, we have Christopher Guest playing the character Dr. Stone. Christopher Guest was also in the film This Is Spinal Tap in 1984. Um, he was also in the film Best in Show in 2000. Next up, we have J.A. Preston playing Judge Julius Alexander Randolph. J.A. Preston was also in the film Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins in 1985, and Firebirds in 1990. Next up, we have Wolfgang Bodzin playing Lance Corporal Harold W. Dawson. Wolfgang Bodzin was also in the films The Long Wait in 2014, and the film Most Wanted in 1997. Next up, we have Xander Berkeley playing the character of Captain Whitaker. Xander Berkeley was also in the films Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and Candyman in 1992. Next up, we have John M. Jackson playing Captain West. John M. Jackson was part of the, um, the JAG television series from 1996 to 2004, and he was also in the film The Hitcher in 1986, that original horror film. I remember that was really good. Next up, we have Noah Wiley playing um, Corporal Jeffrey Barnes. Noah Wiley was also in the, uh, the show ER from 1994 to 2009 and was in the film Donnie Darko in 2001. That's a weird movie. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. Yes. Um, next up, and uh, lastly, we have Cuba Gooding Jr. I believe, I think he's only had one scene in the movie. I don't think he had any other scenes. much. Yeah. Um, Cuba Gooding Jr. playing the character of Corporal Carol, um, Carl Hammaker. Um, Cuba Gooding Jr. was also in the films Jerry Maguire in 1996 with Tom Cruise again and Pearl Harbor in 2001. Not with Tom Cruise. That was Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been a better movie with Tom Cruise. <laughs> so, literally would have been a better movie with Tom Cruise. I think he would have captured the actual tone they intended to catch with that. Pearl Harbor, what a weird movie. Of course, um, it would have just been Tom Cruise defeating all the Japanese exactly. by himself. Yeah, one, <laughs> no help. A true one-man army. <laughs> just like, how did Tom Cruise stop Pearl Harbor? That was the problem of Tom Cruise in it. Um, anyways, that's the cast of A Few Good Men. Jimbo, take it from me. All right, Kyle, good job. Thank you. So, um, this is this is a really interesting movie. Um, it had been a while since I had watched it, but, mm-hmm. man, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a yeah, while, so it's a really great movie. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the trivia, and you can ad-lib as you will, Kyle. As always. Uh, Tom Cruise's Jack Nicholson impersonation when his character is quoting Colonel Jessup was not scripted, so Demi Moore's and Kevin Pollack's reactions are genuine. He did it. He nailed it, too. Oh, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a, like, he, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always amazing, you know, when somebody goes off script or does something like that, and the genuine reactions, and those are actually what they use, because... If he tried to do that a second time, it would have had the same effect. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah, you can't do it again. So it's like it is really like a one and done. Like I just capture that moment, and even if it is breaking the like the fourth wall just a little bit, you got to keep it because it's just <laughs> that good. Yeah. Uh, when searching for an appropriate setting for the trial, the producers learned that regular military courtrooms are just plain and featureless offices. Uh, in order to create a more photogenetic setting, uh, they settled on a vacant courtroom in an empty courthouse. So just brought up the. You know, when he walks in, you know, it's just very plain. Yeah, yeah. It, it captures kind of the the, um, the vibe of simplicity and just, like, how regular, like, this is. Like, this isn't, like, some grand moment where we have this giant courtroom set up for all this. Like, no, no, it's just, this is standard procedure for how you want to capture that vibe. I think it works well. Uh, two misery novels can be seen bedside uh, Danny's typewriter where he watches a ball game. Misery was also directed by Rob Reiner. I didn't know it was directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, and a typewriter plays an integral uh, role in the plot of that film. Because when I think of Rob Reiner, I think of, um, is it The Princess Bride? I do I, believe. I, think so. I believe so. 
I don't think of Misery. <laughs> I'm going to look up which movies he's actually directed just to get a um, list and run down. While filming the scene in which Kendrick is driving Caffey's group across the base in a Humvee through two rows of marching Marines, Kiefer Sutherland had trouble driving the extra wide vehicle and actually hit Marines on multiple oh takes. Oh my, multiple takes. <laughs> yeah, don't forget. Don't forget. He's been in 24 for 14 years. So it's okay. Multiple takes. <laughs> Can you imagine being the guy in the front? Black. <laughs> Let me get back. All right. Calling all extras back on set. Black. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm done, boss. Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> you hit one Marine. You're done. <laughs> and we were like, no, get back in the car. It was like, code red. Code red. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's like saying that's like saying if Kyle was driving the Humvee, he would hit exactly. people. I've seen, I've, seen go I've driven with Kyle, so that's not a far stretch. Oh my god! <laughs> Wasn't we almost died when we were driving to the live show? I, 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 I ran through a stoplight without meaning to. I, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I didn't mean to. I was like, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle what? He's like a panic. Okay. like, I either gotta, I either gotta go, or I can't stop in the middle of the road. I gotta, I gotta own this. <laughs> the I best part about it is he just continues the casual conversation. <laughs> I was like, Kyle, Kyle, you know, red light, red light. He's you like, did that, Kyle. You did that. You can't, you can't, you can't undo that. Oh man. Yeah, where's that? Oh, wow. Stand by G. He did LBJ in 2016. Shock and awe. Okay, Rob Reiner films looking up, guys. Uh, oh, yeah, the bucket list. Oh, man, I, was, I didn't know you did the bucket list. Um, Spinal Tap movies. Uh, oh, my gosh. Noah in 1994. Misery. When Harry Met Sally, The Princess Bride. Stand by me. Oh, yeah. Rob Reiner, great director, great filmmaker. Love him to death. An unnamed executive gave uh, Aaron Sorkin a note If Tom Cruise and Demi Moore aren't going to sleep with each other, why is Demi Moore a woman? He responded, I said the obvious answer. Women have purposes other than to sleep with Tom Cruise. He claimed the incident was his worst experience as a screenwriter. <laughs> wow. Uh, I just I just don't even want to touch that one. That, that's kick no, it's wall. bad. It's yeah, bad. It's I mean, bad. I know. That's a bad thing. Um, uh, the word sir is used 164 times during this movie. That's an average of once every 50 seconds. Every 50 seconds. Just how, how do we drive home how military this movie is? We say sir every 50 seconds. Uh, the Marine Corps drill team was portrayed by Texas A&M University's Corps of Cadets Fish Drill Team. So... Got a little real life. In I there. think they did an excellent job too. Definitely, you know. Oh, here's some uh, people that were considered for the role of Joanne Galloway: uh, Jodie Foster, Ooh. Linda Hamilton, oh, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Ah, uh, man, I would have really been interested to see Linda Hamilton play the role. Um, Jodie, <laughs> I can't see her playing anything, but. Sarah Connor. <laughs> it would have been different. It really would have been different. Like it's like it's it's a serious role, but it's not an action role. Uh, I remember like uh, Lenny Hamilton was also considered to be um, Captain Janeway in the Star Trek Voyager show. I wanted to see that so bad too. Um, uh, it would have been totally different. It, totally different, but also I want to see that. Um, Linda Hamilton would have been cool. Jodie Foster would have been cool. I don't know about Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, I'm not saying, oh, there you go, Kyle. Kevin Polak's mother is in the crowd watching the trial. According to Polak, she hit on Jack Nicholson. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. Hey, you gotta seize the moment when you got it. <laughs> there was so much fun stuff in this movie. 
Uh, the single military ribbon worn by Lieutenant Dan- Daniel Caffey is a National Defense Service Medal, which is awarded to any member of the United States military who served honorably during a designated time period of which a national emergency had been declared. This movie takes place during the time period August 2nd, 1990 to November 30th, 1995 for service during the Gulf War. Oh, wow. So, okay, great. The original play was inspired by an actual code red at Guantanamo Bay. Lance Corporal David Cox and nine others enlisted men tied up a fellow Marine and severely beat him for snitching to the Naval Criminal Investigative Service. Uh, Cox was acquitted and later honorably discharged. In 1994, David Cox mysteriously vanished. And his bullet-riddled body was found three months later. His murder remains unsolved. Wow. That's that's really terrifying. <laughs> it's really deep, dude. I didn't know it was based on a true that, story that's, either. That's really scary. Okay. Uh, you know what they say, though. Snitches get stitches. I, I, I do know but that. Still, that's terrible. You know, but when like, snitches get stitches, you think of, like, gang violence. You don't think, like, oh, <laughs> your own... <laughs> the government coming after you. government <laughs> Wow. Uh, Sections of this film are used by the Air Force Judge Advocate Training School at Maxwell AFB, Alabama, as training tools. In particular, the citing of Article 39A of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the witnesses has rights excusing the members, a.k.a. the jury, from viewing technical or procedural matters and various other aspects of court-martial procedures. Particularly, the unrealistic nature of the course, uh, sorry, court-martial itself is often lampooned by instructors. So... Mm-hmm. There's an, actually an excellent video by um, I think the channel's Legal Eagle. I, I think I'll share. I'll try and share it when the podcast goes up because this will be posted on uh, which of the was it the 14th? Will be posted on this one? Or I don't know. It might be today. Depends might on how today. I feel. Depends on how you feel. If it's posted today, I'll share the video today, and if it's posted later, I'll post it later. <laughs> um, but there's a great legal video, legal eagle video about that, specifically going through the um, the decorum of military court and how wrong this film gets it, but also how entertaining it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lieutenant Covey is based on David Inglesias, a real-life naval reservist and judge advocate general who later gained fame as one of the U.S. attorneys, in his case for New Mexico, fired by the George W. Bush administration shortly after the 2006 midterm elections. Galloway is based on Deborah Sorkin, who worked with Inglesias on several cases, including the hazing case that inspired this play and film. She is also the sister of the author, Aaron Sorkin, Gave him the information he needed to dramatize the case. Oh, wow. Daniel Coffey is a lieutenant junior grade. This is one rank below the previous Navy officer whom he portrayed in Top Gun, Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell. Also in this film, Joanne Galloway uh, is a lieutenant commander. This is one rank higher than the next Navy officer whom she portrayed, Lieutenant Jordan O'Neill in G.I. Jane. Aunt Jenny is played by Rob Reiner's sister-in-law, Maude Winchester. Yeah. I'm trying to think like how many like how many ranks has Tom Cruise played at this point? You know, he got like born on the Fourth of July. He was a Lieutenant Colonel in um, Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's like one of those two. Like how how many military roles? Is... <laughs> He's just gone, going through the ladder of life. You know. Oh wow. You know he'll be he'll be in his seventies. He'll be playing a general in some movie someday. <laughs> Uh, or the remake of this, who will be Jessup? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my, that would be that'd be crazy. Okay. That'd be awesome. That's that'd be really dumb to, to remake this movie, but also I want to see that. One of the ribbons on Colonel Jessup's dress uniform jacket is the Navy Cross. This is the second highest award for wartime valor given to Navy and Marine personnel, behind only the Medal of Honor and Order of of Precedence. Precedence. Wow. Uh, Jason Alexander was supposed to play Sam Weinberg, but when Seinfeld was unexpectedly renewed, uh, he was no longer available. George. 
<laughs> a different movie. A movie I want to see, but a different movie. <laughs> uh, Jack Nicholson was paid $5 million for this says, for 10 days' work. Technically, he worked an extra morning for free when Rob Reiner and crew didn't get all of his footage shot in time. Nicholson later admitted that it was one of the few times the money was well spent. <laughs> How modest. Uh, How modest uh, Jack Nicholson. Half a million dollars a day. Demi Moore reportedly agreed to negotiate her $3 million, uh, asking price down to $2 million because she was competing with Jodie Foster and Linda, Linda Hamilton for the role. And also because she badly needed another hit after the triple box office failure of The Butcher's Wife, Mortal Thoughts, and Nothing But Trouble. The one we talked about briefly before talking about was nothing but trouble, and that seems like a weird comedy to watch sometime. Not that list just out of morbid curiosity. But the butcher's wife sounds awful. It sounds like a bad horror movie. And what was the, what was the other one you mentioned? Mortal thoughts. <laughs> Mortal thoughts. <laughs> what? It's what? just she's just the psychiatrist for the Mortal Kombat characters laying on the couch. <laughs> That's a movie I want to see. <laughs> he cut a man in half with his hat. <laughs> he ripped his heart out. <laughs> Uh, Demi Moore's her first movie he since the birth. Put mask. It was a skeleton on fire. <laughs> he set the man ablaze. How do you deal with that? Have you thought about your relationship with your mother? <laughs> Kyle, you just went down a whole another rabbit hole. Mortal I can see why I said that. You just took on with it. You opened the Mortal Kombat Pandora's <laughs> box. You know, you can't close that. Uh, Demi Moore's first movie since the birth of her second daughter. She had to bow out of a league of their own because her pregnancy was too advanced when the film was being shot. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was the first choice for Lieutenant Commander Galloway, but the studio wanted a tougher actress. Tougher actress. Yeah. Little Hamilton. That's what I want. (laughs) Uh, The Defense Department refused to endorse this film. This meant that the filmmakers couldn't utilize any military installations during filming. Uh, Most of it was shot on a Culver City soundstage. Yeah, I guess it, yeah, I guess it makes sense. The military would comply with this one because it doesn't really. You know, it's, I don't know, there's some also good you know YouTube series about how you know military affects filmmaking. This is definitely one of those films. After uh, seeing the stage play, Richard Dreyfus wanted to play Colonel Jessup. Richard Dreyfus, I could see that happening. Yeah. Rob Reiner said that he related to Kathy because his own uh, famous father, Carl Reiner, um, if you remember the the movie. Uh, Tom Cruise is trying to live up to his father's ex- uh, legacy. Legacy, yes. Yeah, that's the word. Uh, Kevin Pollock said of Jack Nicholson, he is the party. No one had more fun. <laughs> Which? It's just the most believable thing ever. I, I, yeah. Jack Nicholson is a party animal in his own way of a, and a great writer. <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise was attracted to the challenging role because of the tremendous writing. He traveled to New York City to catch the Broadway play before signing on to do the film. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Kevin Pollock called this the greatest experience he's ever had working on a film. Uh, this was also Demi Moore's first time playing a role for the or in the military. Uh, according to Rob Reiner, Tom Cruise would always stay after rehearsals to work on perfecting his role. Uh, Rob Reiner said that landing Jack Nicholson was like having Babe Ruth on his team. <laughs> Uh, John M. Jackson But like after (laughs) He's already riding so high On his coattails Yeah Yeah. John M. Jackson Who plays the Jag here Would go on to play the Jag In the series Which Kyle referred to In 1985 Oh here you go This is a This is a deep one Brandon Lee Was offered an unspecified role Unfortunately citing Exhaustion Scheduling conflicts With Showdown In Little Tokyo And Rapid Fire In 91 
where A Few Good Men uh, was also filmed the same year he had to turn it down. Oh, wow. Yeah, busy year, but it's like, <laughs> you want to strike the iron while it's hot, but man, you just only do so much in one year, you know? Who do you think he should have played in this movie? Jack Nicholson's character. I don't know. In the whole you full pro regalia, yeah, yeah, full pro regalia, Brendan Lee. Yeah. You should have played Demi Moore's character, just funny with Tom Cruise the whole way, you know, without an ounce of like you know, irony. <laughs> uh, Gene Hackman turned down the role of Colonel Jessup because he was busy playing Sheriff Little Bill Daggett in Clint Eastwood's masterpiece Unforgiven. Oh, man, however, Hackman won the Oscar that competed with Jack Nicholson for Best Supporting Actor at the 65th Annual Academy Awards. So. Unforgivable, yeah. Unforgivable. No, it wasn't unforgivable. Unforgiven. Was Unforgiven. Okay, sorry. All right. Sorry. He's got out. I got close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gene Hackman would have done it great. I could easily, yeah, I could, even him yelling, you know. You know, should have played Colonel Jessup if it wasn't for, uh, if it wasn't for Jack Nicholson. It would be uh, Henry Winkler. That's what it should have been. Should've, Henry should've, It should have been the Fonz. Uh, I'm thinking of Gary Busey. <laughs> Gary Busey. <laughs> We destroy the courtroom. <laughs> just destroy the courtroom. Just tearing up the scenery. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, both Marines were found guilty of conduct unbecoming a United States Marine and were ordered by Judge Randolph to be dishonorably discharged. However, no such crime exists for enlisted personnel. Article 133 of the UCMJ makes conduct unbecoming an officer a crime. But the two accused Marines were enlisted rather than officers and couldn't have been convicted under Article 133. Rather, an enlisted person could be separated under the general provision for the good of the service. Aaron Sorgan had long acknowledged the error, but he did not feel it necessary to correct. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> that's just one of those uh, the I'm tel- that's better or worse. I don't know, really. The television set in Coffee's apartment winds up in three different places during the film. To the left of the front door, to the right, and opposite the door. So he's just moved, the television is just moving around. Constantly, t- the teleporting TV that no one knows about. If you, if you, if you uh, it, when Kathy first meets Galloway, he almost leaves before she has officially dismissed him, to which he says, I always forget that part. As he's interrogating Jessup in the courtroom, Jessup tries to leave, but Kathy reminds him that he hasn't been dismissed yet, showing that Kathy has learned his lesson. <gasps> he's, a, he's a full-grown boy now. He's a real boy. <laughs> he matured. He's got his stuff together. Good for you, Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, Jack Nicholson repeated his famous courtroom monologue as Colonel Jessup off-camera several times so Rob Reiner could uh, film the reactions of other actors and actresses from various angles. Nicholson's memorable on-camera uh, on performance was filmed last, but according to Reiner and the other cast members, Nicholson gave it his all every take as if he was on camera. Nicholson said he was quite spent by the time he finished. Which has got to be, that's, that's a great scene, man. Yeah, I, I would hope he'd put it all in if he was getting paid half a million dollars a day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the movie's line, You Can't Handle the Truth, was voted as the 92, uh, number 92 movie code by the American Film Institute out of 100. Uh, so, and a couple more. Jack Nicholson only appeared in four scenes in the entire film. The last of these is Famous You Can't Handle the Truth in the Courtroom Meltdown, which lasts for 21 minutes. 21 minutes. In the final uh, court scene, the two MPs that took Jack Nicholson's character into custody were actually Marines at the time of the filming. So, Oh, wow. All right, Kyle. Give me your thoughts on A Few Good Men. This film is excellent. I love it. it it's it, It's so good. I mean, ultimately, it's just like a it's it's a movie 
about how tough it is to get justice in the real world. You know, like this world is so content to just bury, you know, um, issues or problems or like events like this as many times. And it takes like real hard work for people who to try and get any semblance of accountability and justice for government officials or any kind of place in the real world or any kind of like, you know, uh, system of, uh, of people involving people where problems may arise. Um, and even then, like you may not get the results you want, but ultimately it's still worth doing as well. It's always, um, it's always worth putting that effort in and it's worth keeping, um, your friends and people you care about accountable and, uh, having them help you and you helping them to achieve a greater end of, uh, you know, trying to bring, um, some semblance of justice to the world, some sense of accountability and trying to do the right thing. And, uh, I think it's a, it's a great film that achieves that in many ways, even if it's not like um, um, completely accurate to the way of uh, military courtroom dramas and how that's supposed to actually turn out. Um, but overall, like an excellent film. This is probably like a strong 8 out of 10 for me in many ways where I think it's worth watching today in the future even. And uh, one of uh, Tom Cruise's better works for certain. So ultimately, it's a, yeah, yeah, for me, it's an excellent film. Jimbo, how do you feel about it? Well, the um, I, I really liked it. I, th- I think what really got to me was the uh, two officers that were being tried. Um, they didn't understand because they were following orders that they don't think they should have been in any trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even after they go to trial, and, you know, the one guy's just like, what, what does that mean? You know, we were just following orders. We were just following orders. You know, you could see it tugging on him. And uh, he thought, you know... And then the uh, the other one was like, yeah. He finally understood that even though they did the right thing, that they were going to be dishonorably discharged. Because he gets that turns around when they're leaving the courtroom, you know, and he salutes Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Uh, very powerful. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely a great movie. Uh, I definitely would probably visit this again in the future. Um, if anybody's never watched this, uh, watch it. Even if you don't like courtroom dramas, because it's barely happens inside of a courtroom it's more of the digging around and trying to cover up um what really happened and i think i think it shows the stress that's put on um the service members right especially like the one guy that basically told jess you know snitched on jessup you know ended up taking his own life remember he got his whole full yeah like ceremonial uh, uniform yeah, yeah, and took his own life in an absolutely um, a, kind of a, you know an incredibly sad scene, um, and uh, it has the the grayness to it too. And just like you know, like at no point does it say that um, Colonel Nathan Jessup is like incompetent as his job. You know, by all accounts, like he actually he runs a certain ship and like he actually runs pretty well for the most part. Right. Um, it's one of those things where like because he runs the way he does though actions like that occur um, where he commits a crime basically like that you know ordering a code red that eventually leads to a murder and I don't know if actually if it was ever actually intended as a murder or not because like like he actually the victim had a medical condition that allowed him to be easily killed by that rag that was soaked in whatever well, especially was. he was getting ready to leave anyway well, no, no, allegedly, no, you know, no, yeah, 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 allegedly, you know, um, yeah, yeah, he was trying to leave himself. They would have sent him out if they didn't do the code red on him to put him back in um, line, basically like that too. And so it's one of those things like it's the moral greatness of it of uh, like eh, maybe he could have been a good national security advisor or whatever the role was he was going to be into next. And sometimes the the um, the um, the um, private first classes were put in a difficult position too. The two individual soldiers that performed the code red, you know, they were given an order that conflicted with the idea of protecting their um, brothers and sisters in arms um, and having to have that kind of uh, rule where it's like, if you're serving at, you know, Guantanamo, you have to do, you know, what you're ordered, but it's in direct conflict of what the, 
the oath you took to protect your brothers and sisters and protect the nation. So it's, you know, uh, good, morally great questions that don't have great answers. And uh, they fall on a line that, you know, many people will find very agreeable, myself included. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's messy in a good way. You know, it's, it's, it's worthwhile to expose the truth and, you know, perform justice. But it's still messy in the sense of, like... Is there ever truly a a, 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 a a surefire right thing to do in this scenario? Not necessarily, you know. Um, so, but yeah, but yeah, moral you know, moral greatness in films. I always love that stuff. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. there you have it. That's our take on a few good men. Yeah. If so, you'd like to follow us on the social medias, um, watch Kyle post stuff after he forgets to post stuff. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Remind me every day. It'd be great. <laughs> a podcast on uh, Facebook group. Uh, also, if you want to email us, the tragedy of cinema gmail.com. If you want to leave us a review, we'll read it out loud. Uh, yeah. Good or bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kyle will try to. He usually stumbles over his words. So, yeah. um, well, that's regardless if it's a review or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, I think the next time we record, um, we will be doing. Uh, what we're going to do is basically Kyle will pick a movie and I'll pick a movie. It'll be two, two movies, but we'll, next week I think it's Kyle's or next time. And he wanted to do Mask of the Phantasm. Batman. Which was the old Batman animated series uh, movie. Very good. Um, also, be on the lookout for our third annual tra- It's a Wonderful Podcast Life, uh, where we asked several of our podcasting friends and family uh, to help give a little extra episode like we do every year uh, for the last three years. Uh, just a little something extra that you can listen to during your time off this holiday season. So be on the lookout for that here shortly. Um, we got anything else to add, Kyle? I think we're good, Jimbo. All right. Well, with that being said, this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. <laughs>